Talk Radio. Welcome once again to the Genie Bottled, that is Madame Perry Salon, the cultural salon in cyberspace. I'm your host, your groove mistress, and your spiritual advisor, Madame Perry. You can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP, whatever. I'm just happy to be here and happy that you're here. Uh, the last show, uh, we had, <laughs> you know, we had, uh, if you were listening, we heard had DC, the Brain Supreme Glenn, half of Tag Team. Uh, and, of course, most people now, if you didn't know him from the song, Whoop, There It Is, back in the day, people know him from the Geico commercial, and he's the guy at the end that goes, Sprinkles. And so he was on um, the last show, and he had a lot of advice to give out to people, uh, whether they were working in uh, music or film or, or any kind of business, anything, uh, didn't have to have to do with show business, anything you were doing, uh, D.C., had a lot of advice. He wants to help people. He's a smart man, uh, but he's also very generous of spirit to help people. Also, and he even gave his uh, gave his email address on the air in case you wanted to ask him a question. And uh, and it was and it was the right one. I know. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. Also, um, who else we have? Oh, you know, Arden Marine. Uh, people are still buying her book that from listening to the show. Uh, she's on the show Insatiable, and I don't know if they're going to start filming again soon. Um, Insatiable's a Netflix show, and she plays the state agent, Regina Sinclair, who stole a baby. Uh, but as she told the girl later, out of all the babies in that mall, I chose you to steal because you were special. And let's see. Oh, yes, Franny Goldie. F-R-A-N-N-E-G-O-L-D-E. Still, uh, somebody told me just recently they bought some of her clothes. Now, you know, you might know Franny because she wrote the song On the Night Shift and uh, Stick With You by the Pussycat Dolls, Dreaming by Selena. But she has a, she's a designer, has a clothing business. And if you go to FrannyGoldie.com and order anything, and she does have, she's the woman with the magic pants that Adam Glassman, Oprah Magazine's style director, um, raves about, and that is not a paid-for advertisement. But if you go to her website, order anything, and put in the discount code MPS, the initials for Madam Perry Salon, you'll get, I think you get a 10% discount or something. So that's very nice of her. So anyway, tonight I've got a guest that I'm fortunate to have again. Most of you know my uh, uh Rebecca McFarlane Kyle is a name she goes by professionally, but the rest of us know her, Becky Kyle, and she has just been she has been magnificent for me for introducing me to to uh, people I might not have known otherwise. And one of them is tonight's guest. Like I said, he's revisiting, and we're going to talk about his brand new book, which is called Energy Magic of the Vampire. Now you can put away if you saw some of the things I put. You can put away your garlic, your wooden stakes, your silver crosses. Um, forget about the the blood suckers. Forget about um, the diaries. I think that what was the, the vampires were keeping diaries recently. I don't know. That's what I saw. This is a whole another ball game. Don Webb, welcome back to Madame Perry's Salon. How are you? Uh, I'm. So glad to be here. You're you're really one of the nicest hosts out in the great blogosphere, and um, you're smart and funny and have really interesting guests. So I love being here because it makes me look better. Oh, oh, wow. Thank you so very much. That is so um, – I just feel elated. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, Becky introduces me to the coolest people, you being one. And, yeah, I also, I think I put out on, on some social media, I said, you know, you're going to change what people think 
about vampires. It's not all um, it's not all fancy clothes, hair gel, diary keeping, um, black lipstick. That's just showbiz, right? It's showbiz because, but it, it touches one aspect of living as a vampire, which is gathering attention for your own use. Although better vampires don't use such uh, cliche means, perhaps. Okay. So, uh, congratulations on your newest book, Energy: Magic of the Vampire. Uh, it's been, it's one of those books that's, um, and I'm a fast reader, but it's one of those books that's slow for me to read because I keep wanting to go over and over and over certain parts and read again uh, to, to grasp it all. But congrats on your book. I don't know when you started writing this, but I'd like to know what – oh, and by the way, you also have a book, Velvet of, A Velvet of Vampires, and I do have one problem with that book. Okay. It's not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's very short. Wild, Wildside does a great job of bringing out these really small collections. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm writing something uh, for a Wildside book right now that my friend uh, Paul DeFilippo is putting together. So I, I love them as a press because they can bring out so many books. That's true. Well, we need another Velvet of Vampires. That's so... Uh... Yeah, that's a, it's, it's great. I love the stories. It's just when you're reading on, on a, um, a Kindle or something, an iPad, it's like you get to the end. You don't know how few pages you have left. So it's like, what? There it went. But anyway, back to your new book, Energy Magic of the Vampire. Now, in this book, um, the information, you know, when you read about it, it says you explain that a vampire is not the blood-drinking, crucifix, crucifix-fearing mythical figure, but a shaman. Uh, and as you were saying, somebody whose skill is at gathering and knowing how to gather and use and store energy for was it magical power, manifestation, personal liberation. So give us, uh, give us an understanding. Because, you know, we all hear things like not just vampire, but energy vampire and different things like that. And sometimes, you know, in our world, and, and I know I'm sure I'm guilty too, we tend to take words and overuse them and use them where they don't really fit. So clear us up here. Well, I'll say I've quite a few things to say about that, but I'll begin with the fact that as human beings, we were all aware on some level of a concept we call energy. You could ask 100 people, do you know what energy is? And you would get 100 people that say, yes, I'm aware. And then when you start to ask them individually what that is, you may get 100 different answers. But human beings... Um, not just as, as our animal selves, but as our spiritual selves, our mental selves, we live in an endless stream of energy. Energy is coming into us and leaving us all the time. Now, there are definitely people who draw our energy away from us when we don't want them to. Um, the common parlance for those these days is psychic vampires, uh, a term that, that Anton LaVey came up with. He didn't come up with the idea. That was other people, but he did come up with the catchy phrase. Now, the psychic vampire, we all know, is that person that when you spend time with them, you just feel, you know, a lot less. But the sad thing is they don't seem to feel more. They didn't gain anything from this. Now, the vampires that I write about, the people who choose this as a path, and I went back to Polidori spelling and spelled it with a Y instead of an I, these are people who take energy from others and from nature, but are also really good at feeding energy back into people. You've had experiences with people who are naturally vampires with a Y. I'm going to call them magical vampires for the sake of this interview. And here's how you know them. You interact with them for a short period of time, and you both go away feeling better. You can be totally drained, and you get your phone call from this particular person. Even it's something, even they're giving you bad news and you go away feeling better and you see they go away feeling better. You see, there's all kinds of energy around us uh, and there's lots of drains on our energy. For example, every time you watch an advertisement, that's a drain on your energy. There are corporations that own real estate in your brain. Think about that. Mm -hmm. I could sing the McDonald's song at you and before I'm done, 
you're immediately thinking loving it. Wow, part of your brain belongs to the McDonald Corporation. Uh, part of your brain belongs to Amazon. You know, the Amazon um, logo is deeply mm-hmm. wired into you. Those are places you lose energy. And you're feeding, let us say, really large and, and not particularly bright vampires. My book is going to be a chance to sort of, I don't know, um, level the playing field, let you get back some of that stuff you keep having taken from you and protect yourself from it going away from you. And the reason I chose vampires for several reasons. One, uh, I'm a member of a magical organization called the Temple of Set, and one of its specialized study areas, the Order of the Vampire, um, I'm considered a master of that order, meaning that I have not only gone through the uh, basic training, but that I can go out and teach others within the um, framework of the Temple of Set. And so I started talking about some of the ideas, I think, about being a vampire, that certain people with certain hungers and desires may really get some benefit from. I had to had to stop back about the corporations that own real estate in my brain, but yeah, you're so right. And uh, so uh, let's go to the last part of what you just said. Could you elaborate just a little bit more on the last two sentences? On uh, where I got my own magical training? Yes, yes, I'd like to know more. Okay, I'll start with that. The um, the Temple of Set is a left hand path organization uh, that was founded in 1975. Now the left hand path. Uh, which is what we call it in English, it's a translation of the Sanskrit, the Vama Marg, um, is the path of non-union. Now, a lot of left-hand path groups uh, exist these days, and they're just, you know, kind of use cheap satanic imagery and great for people that are full of rage, and they can kind of go work out what they ever need to work out. But the real meaning of left-hand path is that it's opposed to seeking union with nature or God, or some supreme being, you seek immortality on your own. Um, You want to be a companion to the divine, not part of the divine. And the left-hand path almost always begins with questioning and rebelling against certain social conventions that exist around you. We are deeply programmed as human beings. We have to be. There are 8 billion human beings on this planet, and you need them to, of their own, not I wouldn't say free will, their own programmed will to act in certain ways. You and I are deeply programmed. For example, um, I know right now you have some health issues in your life. You have great stress because you're dealing with cleaning out your mom's house. You're scared about the mold that's there. But if somebody walked up to you, even though you had the worst sinus headache you've had in 15 years, and they said, JP, how are you? Before you even thought about it, the words will come out of your mouth saying, I'm fine, and you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Deep programming so that you immediately fit back into the herd. Now, sometimes that's good. It's really good that I will always stop if I see a stop sign. That's good programming to have. But a lot of the programming we have keep us from being aware of the beautiful, interesting, or even terrifying world we live in. The vampire wants to remove a lot of those layers of programming and have a more primal interaction with each other and the world. When... uh... And the book where you're explaining that um, and about the vampire, you know, as you're talking about the programmer, but about using and storing energy for um, not just magical power, manifestation and personal liberation. And I feel like it, it, the personal liberation part has something to do or can affect the, the what we were just discussing or you were about when you're programmed for something uh, to respond a certain way, which is some are, some are good, some are helpful to you and to everybody else, like the stop sign. But um, when there are certain things that certain corporations have, um, have taken up some space there in your brain, 
what about the the personal liberation aspect of uh, gathering and storing magical power? Does that take an edge off of that? Uh, absolutely. Well, now, first off, if you ask most people, do they want more liberty? They answer yes. But in reality, most people don't want more liberty. More liberty means more choices. More liberty means, you know, sticking your neck out and maybe something bad happens to you. Um, the vampire does not accept the world that she or, she or he has at the given moment. Let's take something really simple. Uh, we all have in our, uh, in our minds a really clear image of who we could have as a loving partner, as a romantic partner. And we can look around a room and think, oh, he's out of my league or she's out of my league. Uh, I, I should never even waste time talking to that person. The vampire assumes that they're the most interesting person in the room because they can, in fact, absorb and direct the attention of the person they're talking to. Now, there's a lot of ways to do that. It's not mind control in the sense of I'm going to make this person do something that they're not interested in doing. It's simply saying, I'm going to make you look at me. I'm going to make you consider me. I am not part of the wallpaper unless, big unless, I want to be part of the wallpaper. Because in the myth of the vampire, which is a very recent myth, the vampire either dominates attention or can become invisible. But that's always determined on the vampire's terms, not on the terms that society might have for them. Now, we can spot people that are very good at this in some fields. Uh, I'm a, an acquaintance of Jinx Dawson, who um, is in a band called Coven. Coven. Sounds like Coven. Where did that come from? Then called Coven. Um, and uh, she recently, in Facebook, people were putting out the 10-year challenge, where they showed their picture now and their picture 10 years ago. And people were commenting things like, oh, you look good and all this. Um, she did the 50-year challenge, her current picture and her 50-year-old picture. And like, wow, you are a master of attention. We see you the way you want us to see you. Now, that's pretty superficial. That is just on the surface. But the vampire learns to deal with people's energy at whatever level he or she wishes to deal with it. And this becomes, you know, everything about the vampire myth sort of empowers that. I'm going to mention one thing. You know, I said that the vampire is a recent myth. Now, a lot of people, even in various occult communities, will tell you the, you know, the myth of the vampire is ancient and has always been with mankind. No, not really. Vampires in mm -hmm. Europe, until um, Stoker and Lefanau and some other people created the myth, Vampires used to be um, smelly, bloated, slow-moving, kind of like what we picture as a zombie movie now. They weren't sexy. Nobody was like, oh, boy, I want to be with that vampire. But recently, meaning in the last 200 years, this myth became one of the, most, one of the best-selling myths we have. It's in movies. It's in games. It's in books. It's in comics. It's, it's used to sell things. Uh, we even make kids cereal that has vampires on it. <laughs> it's such a powerful myth, the idea that a human being, powered by his or her desire, can become more than human. You really hit it right there with even, even kids cereal. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's a powerful image that's used everywhere then. I mean, that really gets everywhere. Uh, there was a part in, in the beginning of the book, it might not have been the forward or the first chapter um, of your new book, uh, Energy Magic of the Vampire. And talking about, I think you were at a convention or, or meeting different people uh, from different groups, and there were some that you said could be in a room with others and they could just, it was like they just, something just turned on within them, and they attracted people, and they and just practically shone. And then when they wanted to, they could just practically, not physically disappear, but just become part of the wallpaper. And, and I thought about, 
uh, you, I'm sure you've heard or read the story about uh, it might have been Susan Strasberg with Marilyn Monroe walking in downtown New York, and they're just walking, and nobody's noticing her or recognizing them. And then Susan said, oh, she says to Susan, Marilyn says to Susan, do you want to see me be her? And so she just sort of changes the way she shakes, you know, just sort of uh, stands up a little different, and um, all of a sudden everybody recognizes that's Marilyn Monroe, and she had just been walking down the street and nobody noticed her. That is an absolutely perfect example. Um, there's someone who was deeply in touch with their vampiric nature and knew to use it rather than have it use them. Mm-hmm. So what gives... Is this yeah, Mar- Marilyn is, Marilyn's a perfect example, and, and so much so, right, uh-huh. that there's still you know a large kind of cult of Marilyn Monroe. There are people who dress up like her and, and collect all of the you know, all the memorabilia connected with her or watch her films. Um, mm-hmm. And there's not a lot to basically say that she is, you know, she wasn't that much better of an actress. Um, if you look at her very objectively, she, she's not more glamorous than, than other women that were in the movies at the time. But she had that vampiric nature. Uh, there was a phrase from silent films called, mm-hmm. which referred to some of the silent film actresses that could totally command a scene. And the very first vampire movie uh, was called A Fool There Was with Theta Berra. And she, and she played a part called The Vamp, this woman of tremendous sexual uh, presence and mystery that ruined the lives of all these men around her, and they just call her the vamp. That's that's. There's nothing particularly occult that she does. She doesn't turn into a bat or a mist or summon wolves or something. But she has men that just literally say, "Here I am. Here's my life. Here's all my attention. Here's all my money." And it was just such an amazing thing that as soon as that happened, throughout America we started speaking of, you know, these femme fatales as the vamp. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see that now. I see the where, where it began and sort of began to evolve uh, in history, films, and other situations. And, you know, I had never really paid that much attention or seen a lot of Marilyn Monroe films or read about her until um, in the late 90s and the early aughts. I used to work as a professional Marilyn Monroe impersonator for a couple of talent agencies. And so I did Marilyn, and most people that do Marilyn also do Madonna. So I really studied them, you know, the way they walk and um, how they speak, how they breathe, everything about them. And, yeah, I could feel a difference when you walk out and you're being someone else and you're just sort of taking them into your uh, into yourself, into your your. your psyche almost uh then yeah you could see how it could radiate the energy or the same way you did when then when i got ready to go home i could just put on my coat i'd still have on my wig and everything and have on the same makeup uh as Marilyn's makeup but when i didn't want to be bothered i could just put on my jacket and then just go back to me and get out the door so um never thought hadn't thought about that in a long time all right in um in your book, Energy Magic of the Vampire, and if you're just tuning into the live show on May 25th, I'm talking with author Don Webb about his newest book, and this book is fantastic, uh, Energy Magic of the Vampire. And if you want to talk to him, if you've got a question or a comment from Don, for Don Webb, I'm sure he'll be happy to talk to you. You can just give us a call at 646-716-9922. It's a toll-free call in the continental U.S., says Blog Talk Radio. Or for people, Don, I'm sure you've been here too. I know I have. People that have a question and they're listening, but they're at a job or someplace where they can't make a phone call, just send me a message through Facebook, and I will be happy to pass it on. So we were talking about the, uh, and if I'm getting ahead of the conversation, let me know, but the master or master of the or okay, you're a master of the order of the vampire within the temple of Set. Uh, 
in this book, and part of the description says, you share the nine-month process of introspection, magical techniques, and practices to awaken and initiate the reader as a vampire and allow us to actualize uh, hidden potential. Um, and I don't know if this is just a coincidence that that's the same thing as the same amount of time as a human gestation period, if that's, or if that's just a coincidence, but... Uh, Tell us about oh, that. Oh no, no. I mean, one of the things when you when you create a magical working, you know, you want to work with as many elements of the human psyche as you can, and human beings have a uh, tremendous fascination with the number nine. Uh, that mainly become, comes because we have ten fingers. So, right in most counting systems, when you hit ten, you start again. So nine becomes this very cyclic number. Uh, nine also has an interesting um, physical response. The human brain, as it deals with um, numbers, for most humans, nine is the biggest number they can easily visualize. With you know, without much trouble and your average, you don't do a lot of math. You can picture nine dots. You usually have to start thinking about it more when you get to ten or greater. When you hit nine, which is for most people a um, limiting factor, the brain actually slows down. Uh, your brain waves go from where we're thinking now, which would be theta. Most people that are listening right now, if they had a brain wave machine, you touch them, and it drops down to low, something lower, delta, maybe even alpha waves. So nine actually has some properties that, um, in addition to everything about mystical lore, it has properties that affect the physical body that you can deal with um, in you know good scientific ways. And then, of course, the number one thing, nine is the number of birth because that's the number of you know full moons that the average woman will see before she gives birth. Okay, all right. So, um, could give us any any. Um any hints for people who haven't got the book yet? Uh, any hints about the the process, the nine month process of introspection, and where? Well, I, I want to you know, I want to talk a little bit about the structure of the book. The, I, I divide the book into four parts. The first part, um, which uh, is just a very much an introduction to theory and vampiric practice. Um, I give you some simple exercises to do. You can go out, you can do them, you can say, wow, I like that, I found that exciting, I found that that too hard. You know, it's just like a kind of a, a tasting, an appetizer. The nine-month process, which I put in the second part of my book, is a focused initiation. You actually set aside time where you think about certain things, you do certain magical practices, and you keep a journal. And it's set up so that you will reach certain conclusions, not necessarily – not, I'm not going to hand you the conclusions. I don't want to have a book of saying, wow, now you can think like me. But I'm going to hand you the questions about life and death and sex and being an animal and uh, your, what you want in life in a certain order where I also have people deal with certain magical practices that are very useful for the vampire. Uh, I picked nine magicians um, from a variety of, some, some from a variety of traditions, some from traditions I'm very familiar with, and I say their word, their, their worldview is really helpful for the vampire. Some are going to be magicians that everyone knows, like Aleister Crowley or Anton LaVey. Some might be pretty, um, pretty obscure, to the average reader. And then I also, you know, give information like, hey, if you really like this, you like what this woman is saying or this man is saying, here you can go and get some good sources on it. If, if I were to really say this, um, being a vampire is a three, I'd say this, it's an endless threesome that you take uh, joy out of composed of desire, struggle and ecstasy and you as a human being you are can use any of these three things to change you uh, to transform you into something else 
and then I use the mythic ideas we have of a vampire as things you can aim for in this transformation, such as one we just spoke of, which is visibility and invisibility. I mean, there's other things like the power of the vampiric gaze. With the techniques in the book, it's very simple. To anyone you're talking to, you can make them shut up. You can make them look at you. You can make them skip their thoughts. You can make them be fascinated with you. And you do that by inducing a light trance in them, which is a very easy thing to do. When they're in that mode, you, as a human being you are, the good herd animal that will yawn when someone else yawns, also goes into a trance. However, since you know what you're doing in the trance state, you are absolutely able to do things that seem amazing, um, like know what these people are thinking or understand uh, things about themselves they think are hidden. Now, some of this is very um, comes from sources that don't look very arcane. Um, some of it comes from like the FBI field interrogation manual, whereas other things come from very arcane sources, such as uh, the works of an 11th century Tibetan tantric nun. Um, the vampire can use any technique as long as she knows what she wants to become and is willing to mix hard work and desire and ecstasy together to make her perfect blend. Things that I have a fast comeback for. I'm still, I still absorb them. Well, that's actually a good thing. I hope they occasionally say things that people are like, oh, that's not what my last guest said. <laughs> um, well, no, because that, that's, that's very tough in the occult world. The occult uh, marketplace has very uh, rigidized rules for um, removing people's money. And since that's not my major source of income, I wanted to do things that I thought made a better product. For example, this is a well-known thing in occult marketing. There's a four-year cycle. People will try something new. They'll do it for about four years, and that means on average you can usually sell them a couple of books and maybe a tarot set during that time. And then they're going to forget it and go on to something else. That's because as human beings, one of our sources of energy is novelty. You do some new thing for a while, that in itself is your own source of energy. But then as it gets a little worn out or you're coming up to a place, you're going to have to do some maybe more difficult personal work, you move on to the next thing. Uh, and that's not obvious, just in the occult world. That's in everything. It's in you know, TV shows or fashion or sadly sometimes in politics. Uh, we've all seen that person, right? I don't care whether it's someone on the left or someone on the right, they get a new political outlook. They get very excited because they have more energy. Suddenly their world seems brighter. Uh, they have great coincidences happen. They stop getting colds all the time. And then about four years later, they can completely change. And this is because human beings, oftentimes they follow wherever their energy leads them and that's not what you want to do as a vampire. As a vampire, you want your energy to lead you to more energy. Now, we've seen that person who was a tremendous supporter of President Obama, and they loved everything that was happening in this country. And then they heard like five speeches from the last guy, and suddenly they were a Trump head. And if that's not our particular philosophy and approach, we're like, oh, my God, what happened to you? We never ask it if someone you know, converts toward what we're doing. But that <laughs> itself is an example of vampirism used against a human. But the vampire... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, no, 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 please. Just keep going with your thought. Okay. Um, the vampire knows how to deal with other people's energy. Now, some aspects of the vampiric myth are very useful here. For example, the vampire can sleep in his or her coffin for decades, hundreds of years. 
Well, that's not going to be part of your life. You know, you can't call the boss tomorrow and saying, I'm going to take a 10-year nap. But what that the mythic, the mythic meaning of that is, you can begin to detach yourself from the emotions and politics of the here and now. Now, for example, a vampire wouldn't care in changes about um, U.S. foreign policy in the same way that he might care about environmental damage. Because if I'm going to be on this planet for 500 years, I don't want the sleeping humans around me to screw it up in 60 years. The vampire can often see how politics is used to absorb energy, and the vampire is very greedy with their energy. They will only want to give it to people they love or desire. They don't want to give it away for free. So learning to disengage is one of the things the vampiric myth will teach us. Okay. This is where I've got a few more questions on that, but this is a good place to stop and, and just have a, a message, um, just a 60-second message. So if you need to get a glass of water or something, just go ahead. But okay. if you want to... Uh, if you got a question or comment for Don Webb, remember it's 646-716-9922, or you can send me a message on Facebook either through uh, Jennifer Maudette Perry or Madam Perry Salon. I'd be happy to share it with them. So, Chuck, talk to us about Fisdale being the Knicks' new coach. What's your uh, thoughts on that? Well, well I'll I tell you right now, Ernie, it don't matter who's going to coach this team. They don't got no talent on it. And I don't, I don't really feel like talk That's kind of hard. I don't feel I talk about the Knicks right now. Do you want to talk about lunch? No. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Chuck? See, Ernie, I've been listening to a podcast called Madam Perry Salon. And I think Jennifer Perry, she's a great host. I mean, she got all these bestseller authors, Rasta, all the comedians. What about people we that could, don't have rings? Here we go. We I got real funny. Real funny. <laughs> but I think she's great. And I think people would love her show. She got a great laugh. She make the laugh come out of nowhere, like an eagle come in there and just steal the whole show. It's 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 a beautiful thing. It's not terrible. You heard it. Not terrible. Not terrible, Don. Well, that's in, you know in in the current world, that's oftentimes um, a really great thing because we've just been through yes. a period of a a lot of terror on this planet the last fifteen months or so. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, something you mentioned there, I was going to, um, I was going to ask you about anyway. Something you hit, touched on um, with this book, and and uh, it sometimes it's so, it, it's so common for people. Like it's automatic. They have a book, it's something that could mean a lot to your life. Like this book could could change your life, could uh, advance, enhance your life cut out a lot of aggravation in your life and they usually used to have some ancillary products like some tarot cards or maybe some tapes or CDs or something to, to go along with it and I don't see you having anything like that with this um, or t-shirts, anything uh, bracelets, but I don't see that with your books I'm, I'm really glad that you noticed that I, I'm very much aware of the fact that, that a lot of what passes for esoteric wisdom in America is just a, an exotic form of marketing. It's like, well, here we have a new hobby. We can sell, sell things for people. Uh, and I, I chose very deliberately to say, no, I'm not coming out with a line of products. I'm not coming out with a line of training. Uh, I'm not selling hypnotapes to go along with this. Um, now, I do in the book, uh, advise people on a lot of resources they can use um, in terms of other books and movies to watch and other things that have contributed to the vampire myth. But it's not something that I want to say, yeah, this is how I'm going to make my money and now I'm the master of your um, economic energy. I am glad that people are buying the book. It's selling well, but I am. It's, it, this isn't going to be like the mixed marketing ploy. Uh, and there's there's too much of that. The, the occult should be a means by which people can uh, look at themselves, discover some truths in their world, 
make some changes in the world. It shouldn't be just another way that you're surrendering your pocketbook and your time to someone else. Which which becomes almost a cult thing in itself if you don't have the the uh, t-shirt or the with the the rubber bracelet or something. And also, you know, some people want to add on. Oh, and here is my charity too. So <laughs> and it just seems to keep on going. And whether the charity gets anything, I'll never know. But okay, all right, that that makes a lot more sense. Um, the, we we're, we've got the book. You've got the explanations. You've got the. Um, everything we need right there. Let me ask you about, too, there's a, um, the part in there where it says, uh, uh, in the description, how to gather energy from the world around you and store it in the body, in artifacts and talismans, in groups of people, such as a coven. And I think we touched on that earlier. Um, and I think you also even go later into uh, servitors and familiars. And I hadn't come across the word servitor before, and the description, which, by the way, you're so cool to have a Wikipedia page, Don Webb, but uh, on Wikipedia it says, uh, it's a psychologically psychological complex deliberately created by a magician for a specific purpose that operates autonomously from the magician's consciousness. So could you explain that to me first before talking about servitors and familiars. All right. Uh, let's, let, let me give you this. And this is a concept that came out of um, the field known as chaos magic, um, and which really came to a certain degree of prominence in the English-speaking world um, in the 90s. Servitor is a creature of energy that you create for a very specific purpose. Now, human beings create things of energy all the time. Um, we created gods, we created leprechauns, we created ghosts, we created all these things that we believe in that seem to then interact with us in certain ways. But servitors don't have necessarily the cultural baggage that that a god would. Let's say you wanted to make um, a servitor for a daily task that you do, um, driving to and from work. Right, and you want something that's going to let you be aware of traffic. How do I avoid bad traffic? How do I, you know, move skillfully through that? So, you and I are going to make a little servitor now. First off, we're going to pick a picture an image. Now, I would think a little green man in a tiny flying saucer would be cool. It's smaller than our car. It can zip on ahead. It'll come back and report to us. All right, for the next two, three, four nights as we go to sleep, we're just going to think about that. We're just going to have that fantasy of there's a little green man, it zoops out, it comes back. Then we're going to give it a name. Now, you see, this isn't a god. This isn't something that deserves our worship. We're aware it's something in our minds. So we're going to call it, hmm, let me think, how about Martin? After, you know, Martin the Martian in the comics. Uh, so now we have our little green man, and we have that. Then we're going to do something ritualistically to put this together. I would suggest that you look up a magical alphabet. There's any number of them you can find on the web, from the Anglo-Saxon Futhork to the so-called Theban of the witches. Just look up magical alphabets. There's a ton. Find one you think looks cool. Take a green pen, because we decided this was a little green man, right? And we're going to write Martin's name in this magical alphabet. And then, as we fall asleep, we'll hold this little piece of paper we've written the name in, and we say something in our brains like, I will Martin into existence. Martin will be my servitor. Martin will take the greatest joy in finding ways to get me through traffic. When we wake up, we take the little piece of paper, we say, all right, Martin, I am now going to cast you into the world. We take a piece of paper, and we burn it. We send it off to another realm. We could also bury it or, or cast it into running water or make it into a paper airplane and fly it out into space. All right, then, that's our first step for our little creation. Our second step is, 
on days we're having really bad traffic, we just say aloud in our car, I wish Martin could help me. Now, we don't think this is a demon coming from hell. We don't think this is an angel God has sent. We know it came out of our brains. And suddenly you'll discover traffic seems a little better. So you do exactly what you would do to a friend that helped you out. You would say, thank you, Martin. You say it aloud. You don't tell anyone else about it because it's your secret. You don't want them calling on this guy. Now you have created a simple servitor. And this is an easy way to do. It took you a little bit of energy. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's just psychology. Well, maybe it is, but you feel better about it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you'll start seeing those days when you're like, wow, if that's just psychology. That was pretty amazing because suddenly I felt this entire impulse to turn off this street, and I found out watching the news that there was an accident up ahead. Now, you don't have to worry about Martin taking over your life or possessing you or leading into anything that you could make a horror movie about because it's a little creature and one thing makes him happy, helping you out in traffic. There, a simple servitor. I I think that. Now, now you can make these things for for a lot of things in your life. Uh, I would say if you start having some success with those – you probably want to get some books because you'll avoid the tendency. The first tendency with these things is um, just like, you know, a teenage boy discovering masturbation. Wow, I just can't do this enough. And you'll make like 40 of them, which is a drain. But making small ones that you can control. And you may eventually at some time call Martin back and say, hey, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to reabsorb you. That's a simple use of servitors. Now, the reason the vampire needs servitors is well explained to us in the vampiric myth, particularly in the great uh, cornerstone of vampiric mythos, the novel Dracula by Bram Stoker. Uh, Dracula needs somebody to take care of him during the day. Now, if you've ever read Dracula, you will notice that unlike vampires these days, he didn't have to avoid the sunlight. He was just weakened in it. So he made Renfield his servitor. Renfield takes perfect care of him and feels good about doing this. Now, for the vampire, you can have some that are purely psychic, like Martin, or you can have real people that you've given a role in your life that they enjoy doing. The important thing is they enjoy doing, and you are respectful and sincere with your gratitude. But it is just like the vampire who has people that will do anything he wants them to do. And then mythically for me, that's because as a kid, one of my first introductions to the vampire mythos was that great gothic uh, TV um, soap opera, Dark Shadows. And I was always amazed at how Barnabas could get the women to do anything. Like, wow, that looks really good to me. So this is what I mean of taking the myth and then making some use of it. And so that was just a simple example of how to make a servitor. You can find a lot more um, on the web of where people have described this in little chaos magic articles. Uh, my friend Frater UD wrote a great book about it called Sigil Magic. It's just, just an amazing book. Um, and you can start, you know, start next week. What I like to do when I teach someone to do magic is I like to give them a simple technique and say, go see if you do this and you like it. Now, there's some aspects to that. Sometimes people will do magic and they will receive a result and they think, but I can't prove it's because of my magic. Maybe that just happened. And I'm, yeah, magic is mysterious. You have to live with that. Well, I don't like that. Or... I've had a few people over the years, uh, one very prominent, very well-known science fiction writer, I'm not going to mention his name, who uh, did a technique, had an amazing result, certainly things that I would be like astounded if I had pulled off, and he was just scared. He says, this really threatens my rational view of the world. I don't want to ever do this again. Whoa. Well, how, how does that differ, uh, Servitor, from an elemental? 
Well, again, you know, the term elemental, and now that would be the same term if you use it the way Dion, Dion Fortune uses it. You know, she uses that, the term elemental for these things that you create. There's some um, baggage with that word that's connected with uh, 19th century spiritism that thinks that elementals exist uh, beyond your creation. You didn't make them. They're just out there. And the general notion is they tend to go bad on you. They'll eventually go kind of crazy. And, and that's a great you know, source for like uh, any number of horror movies. Uh, there's a wonderful woman uh, wrote at the turn of the last century named Alexandra David Neal. And she wrote about her experiences in Tibet. And she was the first um, white woman to get to visit Tibet when it was a forbidden country. And she did this by being um, polite, persistent, and never saying, never taking no as an answer. In her great book, Magic and Mystery in Tibet, she discovered how the Tibetan monks create uh, companions that will do um, tasks for them, which they call turpas. And so she created one, and eventually it passed the test that people other than her saw it. But she also decided after a few months, he began doing some things she didn't necessarily approve of and was kind of scary. So she had to just, dis, dis, you know, disband him, reabsorb him into himself, into herself. Hmm. Uh, so it's very similar to, to an, you know, very similar to an elemental and depending on the writer, maybe exactly the same thing. Oh, okay. And by the way, um, I've got two friends, both named James out in Arizona and they, uh, say they're enjoying the show they're finding it fascinating and so thank you guys for listening and also rusty in missouri says i'm I'm liking the show i didn't know who don webb was but thank you for having him on so i can well thank you rusty for letting us know and of course i have to give a shout out to my gal uh becky kyle too and also tommy smith uh the writer of the macabre is listening as well and said you know he was looking forward to the show so thank you guys all so much um what about a familiar i mean we hear that term a lot and uh, is that something else that i fear is is misused as a term well i mean the 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 mythic basis is great and it comes you know largely from the witchcraft trials because we would have all of these accounts where um Women, while being tortured by the church, said, oh, my cat was a gift to me from Satan. Now, let's look at what familiar really is. One of the best things you can do as a vampire is have a familiar, have a living being that you are linked to the natural world. Now, my cats are definitely not my servants. In fact, I'm pretty much their servant, right? I mean, I, I clean up their poop. I feed them in the morning. I play with them all day. But the cat always is a great teacher. It teaches me not to be too serious. It teaches me to be spontaneous. Um, and one of the things that one does early in the process of getting a familiar is as you learn to take care of the cat, the cat will teach you the importance of taking care of your body. The cat is the best teacher of that because you're having a bad day. Okay, you still have to get up and feed the cat and clean the litter box. But the way the cat shows its affection, its purrs, its stretches, its slow blinks, its head nods with you, the way it smells to you is a deep connection to your animal nature that you won't get to just by thinking about it. You can't intellectually get there in the same way you will get there if you get down on your hands and knees and play with your cat. Now, as I point out in uh, The Energy Magic of the Vampire, if you deliberately begin to make a link with an animal, first off, stop immediately if the animal's not into it. Do not try to force your will on it. That's not going to work for you or the animal. You can then do things like being able to mentally call your cat. Now, the one thing I recommend to people, don't try to show that off as a trick. You know, do it once or twice in front of your friends, but don't make that a party trick. Um, You begin to understand how the animal's feeling, and that's an easy way to learn some of the telepathic arts. So, like, if I become aware, hmm, 
my cat is trapped in a closet upstairs, and I run up and get the cat. Um, and I say, oh, wow, my intuition is correct. Then I can trust my intuition about things that are more important, like the boss is thinking of using me for this big project, or I need to watch out for this person. They intend me harm. So that's one of the easiest things you can begin to do with learning how to deal with your familiar. Now, mainly because of my my personal chemistry, I really usually tell my students to get rescue cats. Obviously, this could be any animal. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could even probably have snakes and insects and fish. But I think the cat works really well because of the large amount of folklore associated with it. I mean, the nice thing about picking an an archetype like the vampire, humankind has been producing tremendous amounts of folklore and images that we can plug into our brain. We can pick up a lot of work that's already kind of digested for us. Don, I knew because I've read your work before, had you on the show before, and I'm thoroughly enjoying and diving into your new book. I knew I would enjoy this, but I forgot that it was going to make it. This 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 hour has gone by so fast, and I just don't want to let you go, but I know I have to. Okay. But I want to wish you much success on this book, uh, Energy Magic of the Vampire, and tell people where they can get it. Uh, the, the easiest place, of course, is on Amazon. Uh, all the larger book-selling places have it. And then my publisher, which is Inner Traditions, which has a really fine uh, line of books anyway, you can visit their website. Okay. And, of course, I will be sharing um, the links to places where you can purchase Energy Magic of the Vampire as well as other books by Don Webb on all of my social media, not just Madam Perry Salon, but also on uh, Jennifer Perry social media. I'll be sharing uh, that as well. So that way, if you don't get it here, or some people tell me they listen while they're driving, and so you don't have to worry about writing it down, I'll have it, you know, I'll have it for you. And uh, this is, I'm just I'm just delighted to have you here again, and again, wish you much success. Thank you for everything you teach me. Um, I am I am not just uh, I'm not just talking when I say I'm excited about what book is going to do for me and for a lot of people. Um, I'm not sure it already has. Um, so thank you so much. Do you have any any? Parting words, anything else that you wanted to say before we go? Uh, I just really wanted to thank you for having me because you're just a, you're, you're really just one of the, the, the nicest people in the biz in terms of asking smart questions and also being funny. Uh, so I really want to thank you for that. And you're the only person for my many years that is able to talk to me about my fiction, which is what you had me on uh, the last show for, and my occult writing. Usually those two worlds never come together. And so this was really nice to have someone that got to see two sides of me. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, thank you so much. Well, you know, I I love it all. And um, right now I can think of different stories from uh, Velvet of Vampires. And by the way, did you coin that term, you know, like a um, – I, I came up with that term as as the for the genera of vampires because there wasn't I couldn't find a term for a group of them, and uh, I was looking at one of the great bat colonies here in Austin as it flew out because we have two I don't know if you know we have a quarter million bats that live in the city of Austin, and the colonies fly out right at uh, twilight, and I looked at that great velvet ribbon and I thought wow a velvet of vampires that's the perfect genera so I, I did coin that term. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Well, thank you again so very much. I hope you'll come back soon. And remember, folks, I will always be sharing uh, where to find Don's books on all of my social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Reddit, Pinterest, everywhere. And, uh, Don, you know, I'm going to close with my song. This is going to say, 
I, I don't know how this uh, the title of this song fits into Vampire Magic, but I've got a feeling that, at least for me, and a few others, maybe it will. It's called Everybody's Got to Swing. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Goodbye, Luda. Be good to yourself. Be good to each other. And remember, uh, Madam Perry. you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.